0: We ask for God's wisdom as we face the challenge of our very troubled world. We pray for the lives of the wounded and for the souls of those who have passed. And we hope that as long as America stands for justice, then peace and harmony will in the end prevail. By the Constitution and laws the united states so help me god so help me god
1: it's time to make america great again join the movement A. Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. A podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant, valiant leadership. leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference.
2: All right, we are here Monday, April 10th, 2017. A new week and a new podcast. It'll be a busy show for you, plan. We have a lot of sound. Uh, the Obama administration, what they said about Syria, and what we now know, uh, we had, uh, we laid it out for you on the Neil A. Caruso show yesterday, uh, but we have a lot more to get to today just to go to show you the foreign policy challenges that President Trump has to deal with, where we are today, and the problems that have escalated in the past eight years. Uh, welcome again to the Neil A. Caruso show podcast, everybody. Uh, today, though, Uh, San Bernardino uh, faced a tragedy uh, with a school shooting there, Uh, three dead and one wounded in a murder-suicide. A gunman opened fire inside his estranged wife's elementary school classroom in San Bernardino in California uh, on Monday, killing her and one of her young students before turning the revolver on himself. Uh, The suspect is uh, Cedric Anderson. He Uh, has a rap sheet of domestic violence and weapons charges, and he fatally shot his wife, Karen Smith, uh, and two students that were behind uh, the wife uh, were struck by gunfire, including an 8-year-old who died at the hospital later on, um, and the other student, a 9-year-old, was hospitalized but in stable condition as we are speaking now. Um, So a very sad uh, tragedy, kind of reminiscent there of the Sandy Hook Elementary school shooting in Connecticut, um, always a tragedy here or something like that in these school shootings, and I'm sure that's going to raise up a uh, gun debate debacle. Um, you know, it's sad that this guy, I mean, this guy should not have had access to a gun. I mean, the fact that he had domestic violence and uh, and weapon charges, he did have a gun, and, um, you know, but it's more, I mean, listen, this guy is obviously, obviously a sick guy, um, and, you know, I always, when this gun debate comes up, because, you know, I've learned a lot about the um, Second Amendment, self defense. You know, down south, uh, south in the United States, I mean, you will get robbed blind if you don't have a gun uh, to protect yourself or at least threaten uh, a potential robber. And um, so they have their place in society, and the Second Amendment, uh, as a Second Amendment supporter, and you know the president is. Um, there is there are reasons that we are allowed uh, to bear arms to protect ourselves. Uh, this case is clearly a, a mental illness scenario. We don't have all uh, all the facts and and the details out yet. Um, obviously, we're still finding stuff out about their mental state, but uh, obviously there was some sort of retaliation. Um, against his uh, ex-wife there, uh, or his estranged wife, and she died, and unfortunately, an eight-year-old died as well. Just a terrible, upsetting tragedy uh, that we're faced with today, Um, and, you know, if you want to talk about ideology, mental illness, you know, you go to Radical Islam, and uh, we'll get into foreign policy on the podcast with, uh, you know, Egypt had a terror attack yesterday, and um, that uh, clearly uh, a radicalization of um, ideology where they they are persecuting Christians in the region uh, ahead of the Holy Week. So, you know, you have a uh, any type of person who w- would do that type of heinous action, like the heinous action that Bashar al-Assad committed on his own citizens in Syria last week, there is a mental disconnect— There um, and a uh, ideology that is radical that needs to be defeated and needs to be taken down and uh, truly an uh, an evil in our world Um, and you know you look at this uh, Bashar al-Assad situation and last week you know we came on we recorded the podcast very late because uh, Trump had ordered the strike this Thursday when uh, President Trump ordered uh, the strike on Syria and. He spoke, and we had that for you on Thursday, and, you know, what did I say on Thursday night? America is back, Um, and it's important that we put our our standing in the world first and foremost. Um, Now, listen, a lot of—I've been listening, a lot of people saying, well, didn't Trump run on America first, and we're not going to intervene in other people's situations? Yes, he did, but here is where this situation is different, and listen— uh, we played the clip for you on the program yesterday on the Neil deGrasse show, which, by the way, the full show is up on YouTube. It's on Um, You know, President Trump said that this Syria attack changed him. Um, it changed his outlook on what he had to do, and you can tell. I mean, listen, he's looking older already. Uh, you can tell that he is um, being faced with so many challenges, and when you have an attack like that that clearly you can tell he was emotional over it and moved him. And he said, listen, we have to act on this. And he acted swiftly. He did not um, tell anybody except his defense team, James Mattis, defense secretary, and H.R. McMaster, his national security advisor, and his national security council. He debated it with them. It seems like Steve Bannon was someone who was against it. Uh, And... There was debate, there was a healthy debate that was going on in the White House, and President Trump ultimately said, I have to act. We cannot let this go on. And listen, do we have to be the world's policemen? No, we don't have to be, okay? We don't have to get involved in other countries' conflicts. And I'm all for America first. You know that. But when it comes to the fact that Bashar al-Assad, a Syrian dictator who has used chemical weapons on his citizens for seven years, it is nothing new— and he's gone away with it in the past. The Obama administration um, just appeased him. They drew a red line, you know, the famous, oh, well, you know, here's the red line, and if you cross this, we're going to act on it. And what happened? Absolutely nothing. This is Obama, August 2013, when he said that, okay, about the red line. And then, one year later, in August 2014, they had this massive Syrian uh, chemical weapons attack on their own people. That's Part of the Syrian refugee crisis right there, and ISIS infiltrated as a result, and they took advantage. See how this is all connected, by the way, with immigration and refugees. And what did Obama do? Absolutely nothing. All right, we'll go over that in a second, but I just want to make the point here that while it's important for the United States to not meddle in other conflicts, especially Syri- uh, civil wars, when you have chemical weapons, a sarin gas attack— used on citizens who are then fleeing the country and coming here, it becomes a national security threat, number one. And number two, that type of attack is a holocaust on a lower scale. Meaning, if you are going to allow that to happen, what's to say that Bashar al-Assad is not going to open gas chambers like Nazi Germany did? And then you're going to have a situation where... It becomes a second holocaust. You cannot be complicit in that. The United States has to act on a chemical weapons attack, has to send a message to the world, especially in the early days of the Trump presidency. We're on day 81 of the Trump presidency on this Monday. And he has to send the message that I'm not going to be pushed around. I'm not Barack Hussein Obama. And if you mess with me, we'll just launch 59 Tomahawk missiles right in your backyard. And that's what he did. And that sends a very strong message to the world that, hey, we're not going to be pushed around anymore. America is back, okay? And we're a power to be reckoned with. And you don't want to mess with us. And there are countries that are messing with us. More on that in a second. I'll get into the detail of what's going on around the world, especially in the Middle East, and and the problems that President Trump is faced with. And you know he is— up day and night dealing with these issues, and it is um, very serious and affects all of us, frankly. Okay, so um, less than three years after Barack Hussein Obama declared the Syria chemical um, uh, chemical weapons situation um, to be gone, to be totally free Syria of chemical weapons, you have the Syria attack last Tuesday, six days ago. This was a statement by the Obama administration. They issued a written statement that I'm going to read to you on August 18, 2014. This is after the uh, Syrian regime, Bashar al-Assad, launched a weapons attack on the American people. Um, He says, uh, Barack Obama in a White House statement, quote, Today we mark an important achievement in our ongoing effort to counter the spread of of weapons of mass destruction by eliminating Syria's declared chemical weapons stockpile. The most lethal declared chemical weapons possessed by the Syrian regime were destroyed by dedicated U.S. civilian and military professionals using a unique capability aboard the MV Cape Ray, and they did so aboard the U.S. vessel several weeks ahead of schedule. Okay. Dissect this paragraph here for me. An achievement to counter the spread of weapons of mass destruction... They quote, eliminated Syria's declared chemical weapons stockpile. Obviously, that's false. And then, number two, they did this ahead of schedule. Um, they've been launching attacks since 2013. It didn't just happen Tuesday, by the way. And we will uh, go over those details. The Obama administration statement in 24, August 2014 further goes on to say it further advances our collective goal to ensure that the Assad regime cannot use its chemical arsenal against the Syrian people and sends a clear message that the use of these abhorrent weapons has consequences and we will not be tolerated and will not be tolerated by the international community. Well, it was tolerated. The United Nations did absolutely diddly squats, okay? And you have Nikki Haley, who's in front of the UN last week, saying, where the hell have you been for seven years? It's time that we act. Syria and Russia are in cahoots. Russia's complicit in the attack, and we need the U.N. support. Enough of the monitoring the situation in Syria. It's time to act yesterday. And then, three years after this publication from uh, the Obama administration, the statement, and more than uh, two months after Obama left the White House, the Assad regime again gets the Syrian population. Now, let me play you sound that went on since 2014. Clips, you have John Kerry, who had a lot of tough talk. This is on Meet the Press in July 2014. He was talking tough about Syria. Here's the former Secretary of State, former presidential candidate as well, but former Secretary of State, John Kerry in 2014. Meet the Press, NBC.
1: Let me get right to it. It's been a jarring 48 hours in the run up to a potential conflict with Syria. On Friday, the president dispatched you, the secretary of state, to make the case to the country and the world that the Assad regime used chemical weapons and you spoke with passion and great strength. This is what you said.
0: It matters because if we choose to live in a world where a thug and a murderer, like Bashar al Assad can gas thousands of his own people with impunity, even after the United States and our allies said no. And then the world does nothing about it. There will be no end to the test of our resolve and the dangers that will flow from those others who believe that they can do as they will.
2: Oh, it's really tough that, you know, Bashar al Assad, we're not going to take this, okay? And we're going to, you know, we're going to launch a strike. Well, that's what he says about Obama. Now, you know Obama never ordered a strike. They never did anything. As uh, when Syria crossed that imaginary red line, you know, about the Russian reset and all that crap. Just to go to show you the failure of the foreign policy of the Obama administration. Now, here's John Kerry. He says that the president, former president, Barack Hussein Obama, was going to order a strike. But, you know, then he was getting questions. He blames Britain, which I— Uh, How to edit this, but uh, he blamed Britain for this and, you know, saying that because uh, David Cameron uh, went to Parliament and they said, no, we're not going to join the U.S., that, oh, well, you know what? We're not going to launch a strike because Britain is holding us back, so they're the problem. Since when do we care what Britain tells us? We don't listen to anyone. We're our own sovereign nation, aren't we? Well, Obama's gonna order a strike, but he decided to do nothing. Here's John Kerry.
0: Well, the the case remains the same, David. Uh, The President of the United States has made his decision. His decision is to take military action in response to this outrageous uh, attack, this affront against the uh, decency and sensibilities of the world. And that I understand- the, The President has made the decision. He has made the decision. That he believes we need to take a military strike. But the military understands that whether that happens this week or next week is not going to make the difference.
2: <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. So President Obama's ordering a strike. He now tells the public, which is mistake number one, okay, that, oh, yeah, we're we're going to launch a strike. And it doesn't matter whether it's today, tomorrow, or next week. You know, we'll just let Syria prepare for that. So, First of all, that's idiotic and moronic. Second of all, yeah, you know, he's, he's tough, Obama. He's going to launch the strike. He never does it, okay? Congress' fault. And, you know, part of Congress—by the way, Congress is to blame a little bit because there are some congressmen and congresswomen who are even coming out now. They know, most, by the way, most of the uh, the conversation from the politicians— even Senator Schumer, even Nancy Pelosi, thank God they came to their senses on one thing, is that President Trump did the right thing in launching the airstrike. But if Trump listened, to and he did go to Congress to seek you know, out opinions, and he did discuss it with them uh, before he launched the strike, but the president does have the authority uh, under a 2001 bill passed by Congress saying that in this post-9-11 error that if uh, you need to send— Uh, a message via an airstrike, the president has the authority to do so. He did consult with Congress, but, frankly, he is the commander-in-chief, and we only have one commander-in-chief, as Marco Rubio said. Not 535 commanders-in-chief. We have one. Um, And in this case with Obama in 2014, yeah, maybe Congress is a little to blame, you know, holding Obama back from just acting. And, frankly, if he had acted, maybe we're talking about a different scenario here— Maybe we're not in this mess. Uh, We probably still would be because his policies were horrendous. But if he acted on this one case in Syria, maybe Bashar al-Assad gets the idea that the Americans are not going to put up with his um, dictatorship and his uh, his murderous acts on his own citizens and his human rights violations. Now, John Kerry then later went on to say, which is a proven lie— that all the chemical weapons, they're gone. Take a listen to the former Secretary of State.
0: Russia has been constructive in helping to remove 100% of the declared chemical weapons from Syria. Uh, In fact, uh, that was an agreement we made months ago, and it never faltered even during these moments of conflict.
2: Yeah, uh, that is wrong. Uh, There is that deal that happened between Russia uh, as if Russia was going to help us in any way to deal with the chemical weapons. We're seeing now Russia's complicit in the attack. In fact, Russia's coming out, and, you know, so so much for Putin and Trump having a bromance because uh, Putin is coming out and saying there's an act of aggression. We won't work with the U.S. anymore. So big surprise. Um, and 100% of chemical weapons gone, says John Kerry. He wasn't the only one, by the way. Um, Susan Rice, oh, yeah, remember her? The former NSA advisor who has lied about Benghazi in five Sunday news shows, Um, she contradicts herself in the unmasking. Well, we're going to show you all the lies. We're going to let you hear all the lies. But um, here's what Susan Rice said in terms of that she and Obama removed chemical weapons. This is um, in January. This is this past January on National Public Radio. The former national security advisor, Susan Rice, touts the success in Syria unbelievable find a
3: solution that actually removed the chemical weapons that were known from Syria in a way that the use of force would never have accomplished but the fundamental problem of Syria persists and that is that there's enormous human suffering and we have not we the United States the international community the UN Russia everybody else has not managed To find a negotiated solution, which would by necessity mean dealing with the problem of Assad continuing to govern Syria in the most violent and repressive way. President Obama is not a man who speaks off the cuff often. There's a lot of thought that's put into the language that he uses. Do you regret the articulation of a red line in Syria? It's not for me to regret or or otherwise. I think the president stated the U.S. view, which is the use of chemical weapons is not something we're prepared to allow to persist. And we didn't. We managed to accomplish that goal far more thoroughly than we could have by some limited strikes against chemical targets.
2: They accomplished? What the hell did they accomplish? Syria is a mess. The entire region is a mess. Okay? They made it worse. In Egypt, they they led the Muslim Brotherhood uh, leader, Morsi, who's in jail now, okay, had an uprising in Egypt. Uh, their entire foreign policy is an utter disgrace. And she and Obama, they removed the Syria chemical weapons. And, well, I'm not going to comment on the red line. Oh, well, because if I did, I'd just lie again. Uh, sh- this woman, Susan Rice, she needs to be— te- She needs to testify. This person is such a compulsive liar, okay? And it's ironic because we're going to tell you later how Trump has been proven right on everything. And they say Trump is a liar. He's proven right all the time. Susan Rice, she comes on five Sunday news shows, okay? This is just two of them because she says the same thing on all five Sunday news shows. This is from uh, ABC This Week. And I believe CNN, Candy Crowley, who, you know, by the way, I remember Candy Crowley moment where she inserted herself into a debate between Obama and and Mitt Romney at Hofstra University in 2012. And Candy Crowley pushed the same lie that Susan Rice told her to her face the day after this attack, or that week of the attack, September 16th, uh, 2012. Um, is when she came out, so five days later on the Sunday news shows when she came out. And Candy Crowley uh, told Mitt Romney he was wrong, that it was a result of a terror video, when we know Hillary Clinton told her daughter that night, and we only know because she used a private email server, and we know that she told her daughter that it was not spontaneous. I mean, they didn't just show up on mortars. But anyway, Susan Rice, this is just one lie, and we'll play several of Susan Rice's lies, shall we? So not just that the chemical weapons are gone, but here in the famous Benghazi lie.
3: It began spontaneously in Benghazi uh, as a reaction to what had transpired some hours earlier in Cairo, where, of course, as you know, uh, there was a, a violent protest outside of our embassy uh, sparked by this uh, hateful video. Uh, this is a response uh, to a hateful and offensive video. That was uh, widely disseminated uh, throughout the Arab and Muslim world. Obviously, our view is that there is absolutely no excuse for violence uh, and that uh, what has happened is condemnable. But this is a, a spontaneous reaction uh, to a video, and it's not dissimilar, but perhaps on a slightly larger scale than what we have seen in the past with the Sistanic verses, uh, with the, the cartoon of uh, the Prophet Muhammad.
1: You talk about this as spontaneous. Can you say definitively that the attacks on our consulate and Libya that killed Ambassador Stevens and others, their security personnel. That was spontaneous? Was it a planned attack? Was there a terrorist element to it? Well, let us let me tell you
3: the, the best information we have at present. First of all, there's an FBI investigation which is ongoing, and we look to that investigation to give us uh, the definitive word as to what transpired. But putting together the best information that we have available to us today, our current assessment is that what happened in Benghazi was, in fact, initially a spontaneous uh, reaction to what had just transpired hours before in Cairo, uh, almost a copycat uh, of, uh, of the demonstrations against our facility in Cairo, uh, which were prompted, of course, by the video.
2: And this lie of the video goes on and on. She says this on five Sunday news shows, all of them, okay? She makes her rounds and she says there was, they just showed up. And they just were protesting this, you know, anti-Islam video, yeah right, and they knew it that day, and they let four Americans die, they provided no support, but, you know, we condemn the attacks. Useless. Okay, that's just one lie. Susan Rice lies. How about Bo Bergdahl on This Week with George Stephanopoulos?
1: Sergeant Bergdahl. there are a lot of questions about how he originally was captured and whether or not he had deserted, had left... Uh, His post is that going to be investigated and if it's found that he did indeed uh, leave his post will he be disciplined or is already paid the price?
3: (laughs) Certainly uh, Anybody who's been held in those conditions in captivity for five years has paid an extraordinary price But that that is really uh, not the point the point is that he's back He's going to be safely reunited with his family He served the United States with honor and distinction, and we'll have the opportunity eventually to to learn what has transpired.
2: Yeah, well, that's a lie. He did not. uh, He deserted. Um, And so I don't know how they keep running her out there the former national security advisor for Obama, when all she does is lie and lie and lie. And then this is really alarming because she's actually copying honest here, which is ironic, talking about funding terrorism in regards to the Iran nuclear deal on CNN with Wolf Glitzer.
3: We should expect that some portion of that money would go to the Iranian military and could potentially be used for the kinds of bad behavior Uh, that we have seen in the region uh, up until now. But the goal here, Wolf, was never uh, and was not designed to prevent them from engaging in bad behavior in the region. They're doing that today. The goal is to ensure that they don't have a nuclear weapon, and therefore, right. when they are engaging in that bad behavior, that much more dangerous.
0: No, I just want to be precise. So, there's really once the money starts flowing in, it's their money, correctly, uh, as I pointed out, as you pointed out, it's their money. What they can do with it, whatever they want. If they want to give a billion dollars in weapons to Bashar al-Assad or a billion dollars to Houthi rebels in no, Yemen, no, they can't.
3: They can't do that. Uh, wolf because they'll still be under an arms embargo they would prevent them from sending weapons anyway well, what if they're
0: not sending weapons what if they're just sending money
3: well they may be able to send money yes
0: all right let's talk about uh, this deal I know you think it'll go through the Senate it'll go through the house yeah, you'll be able to override a presidential
3: by the way by yeah. the way wolf I, just to be clear they're yeah. sending money now while they're under sanctions. There's nothing currently to stop them from. They're going to have a lot
0: more money as if, if in fact the sanctions are lifted.
3: They will have more money once they have verifiably given up their nuclear weapons uh, capacity and any ability to reconstitute it.
2: Oh, so we're just going to, you know, it's okay. They could fund terrorism. They could do whatever they want with their money. By the way, Wolf Blitzer, too calm there. If I'm Wolf Blitzer, I'm jumping down her throat. I mean, she just said in that. That, yeah, they could do whatever they want with the money. If they want to give it to the Houthi rebels and they want to give it to terrorists, uh, you know, it's okay. That bad behavior is fine. As long as they don't have nuclear weapons, they can engage in terrorism. Unbelievable. It really is. It's sick. Okay? And that's, and just to go on that for a second, um, you know, we gave billions of dollars to Iran in cash via plane. Okay? And what are they doing? We know they fund radical Islamic terrorism. Obama can't even utter the damn words. Okay? it's It really is so disgusting. All of these lies, and I'm not even done with Susan Rice, by the way, although the music is done, the dramatic music, but I'm more when I have more lies for negotiating unmasking. But on the Iran nuclear deal, okay? So they're allowed to do bad behavior as long as... It, and this is, this is an old clip. I wish... They should be playing this all the time. I just found this. I came across this today, okay? And we'll blister then all of a sudden. Well, all right, let's talk about it. Um, it seems like it's going to go through Congress. Are you kidding me? See, this is the problem with the media is that they want to jump on the process. Is it going to pass? Is it going to be a win? Is it going to—I mean, you got to be kidding me. The policy here, they're going to send billions of dollars to Iran that is funding terrorism. So we, under the Obama administration, indirectly funded radical Islamic terrorists. I mean— are you serious? Okay? So, great. We, the free people of the United States, our taxpayer dollars goes to fund terrorism under the Obama administration. It is so disgusting that, in my opinion, Obama and Susan Rice are complicit in this behavior. Okay? Now, those are just some of the lies. Then he have the unmasking, the surveillance of President Trump that we know— Happened a year before Trump was president, which means he was a candidate. There are reports that not only were his transition team members unmasked and illegally leaked, which we know from Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's name, which was illegally leaked in the media, a felony of up to 10 years. And we know that we now hear that his family members have been unmasked. Unmasking is not a common occurrence, it is actually rare for the intelligence community to unmask, and here's where she contradicts herself. This is Susan Rice on MSNBC uh, last week with um, uh, Andrea Mitchell, and then I'll play you where she contradicts herself. But this is last week MSNBC in reaction to um, to the unmasking allegations and her activity in this. I mean, at this point, is she even credible?
3: To decide whether that information as to who the identity of the US person was could be provided to me. So they'd take that question back, they'd put it through a process, and the intelligence community made the determination as to whether or not the identity of that American individual could be provided to me. That is what. Uh, I and Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, CIA Director, DNI, would do when we receive that information. We only do it to protect the American people, to do our jobs in our in the national security well, realm. That's the only reason. Within that process and within the context of the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, did you seek the names of people involved in, to, to unmask the names of people involved in the Trump transition, the Trump campaign, people surrounding the pre, the the president-elect. Let me be clear. In order to spy on them, in absolutely, order to expose them. Absolutely not for any political purposes to spy, expose anything. But Did you let me leak
2: ex- the name of Mike
3: Flynn. I leaked nothing to nobody, and never have, and never would. But let let me explain uh, this. First of all, Andrea to talk about the contents of a classified report to talk about the individuals on the foreign side who were the targets of the uh the report itself or any americans who may have been collected upon incidentally is to disclose classified information i'm not going to do that and those people who are putting these stories out are doing just that i can't describe any particular report i saw and by the way i have no idea what reports are allegedly uh, are being described by those who are putting out this story i don't know what time frame they were from i don't know the subject matter and i don't know who uh, they think was collected upon the allegation is that in one case they are alleging in the daily caller that there was a spreadsheet that you put out of all of these names absolutely false. and circulated no spreadsheet nothing of the sort and let me also elaborate and say that when uh the intelligence community would respond to a request from a senior national security official for the identity of an american that would come back only to the person who requested it uh and it would be brought back to them directly to um, you directly to me You're or requested. to whoever might have requested it uh on occasion and, and this is you know important it was not been typically broadly disseminated throughout the national security community or the government. So the notion that, which some people are trying to suggest, that by asking for the identity of an American person, uh, that is the same as leaking it, is completely false. There's no equivalence between so-called unmasking and leaking. The, The effort to ask for the identity of an American citizen is necessary to understand the importance of an intelligence report in some instances.
2: Um, there is a connection between illegal leaking and unmasking because the only way people would get the unmasked names when only 20 people in the National Security Agency can see those names, the only way they could get it is if it's unmasked. Okay, only 20 people, by the way, can unmask the names. Okay, there are less they can actually see the names. So somebody unmasked it. Somebody then who has the ability to view unmasked material illegally leaked it. So there's a correlation, Okay, And the other point that she made, which is um, that uh, it is not broadly disseminated, actually, well, it wasn't until January when days before Obama left office, he left the NSA with more power. He gave them the ability to share globally intercepted communications, so intelligence, among 16 intel agencies. That means that all the intelligence can be shared and hidden within the bureaucracy, leaving nobody accountable for a legal leaking. Okay? And days before he left office, Obama also left a trail. This is reported by the New York Times, by the way, so you can't call me a conspiracy theorist. Look at your own paper. Okay? And he left a trail of, of intelligence for the administration, for the incoming administration, to not be able to— to get the intelligence and put it under lock and key, which, for national security reasons, should be. But it came out, and under the congressional investigation, it's coming out more and more every day, that Trump was surveilled, possibly illegally, by the Obama administration, and there are espionage violations here. Now, that's on MSNBC, Susan Rice said that. You know, you think she sounds like she knows a lot about the process of unmasking. Well, here on PBS, on March 22nd, two weeks before this interview on MSNBC, she didn't know much.
3: I know nothing about this. I was surprised to see uh, reports from uh, Chairman Yunus on that uh, count today.
2: Oh, she was surprised. She didn't know. This was the day that Devin Nunez came out, a Republican from California who has since recused himself from the uh, House Intelligence investigation. He is the House Intelligence Committee chair, and he— He came out that day and said, I went to the SCIF, the secure location, to view intelligence. That's the only place you could view it. And it was on the White House grounds, and he viewed this intelligence and said, yeah, it looks like Trump was surveilled. Trump said he was vindicated by that. And then that day, Susan Rice, it's interviewed on PBS, says—and I love how she goes to PBS and MSNBC and NPR, where she pushes all these different narratives. Anyway. Just to point out the media outlet there, because it's not going on any tough interviews, tell you that much. And Susan Rice goes out and says, I know nothing about anything. And then she knows a whole lot of stuff two weeks later. And Andrea Mitchell, by the way, apparently was on a podcast, I don't have the audio of it. She went on uh, some podcast and said, you know, I covered the Reagan administration and I fought... With the acting press secretary, he was a misogynist, and, uh, and uh, I fought with Carter, I fought with everybody. And, but Trump is the worst I've ever seen. He is a compulsive liar. Oh, really? But you interviewed a compulsive liar last week. Susan Rice, who I just played you all the lies. Benghazi, Bergdahl, funding terrorists and Iran. Fantastic. MSNBC and PBS, one of them, she either lied straight to your face... Andrea Mitchell, or she lied on PBS. So she lied on one or the other. And how come when she says that in that response to you, you don't question her, saying, you know, PBS, you said that you didn't know anything about unmasking, mask and that you didn't have access to that, and wh- which is true. So yeah, but Trump is so vile. I mean, give me a break. You know, if you're gonna ask a tough question, ask a tough question. Don't be a shill for the uh, for one side. Now, the Washington Free Beacon they published uh, reports uh, here. They put a YouTube video compilation. I'm going to play it for you uh, of all the reports. It includes some that I played, including Susan Rice, and includes um, uh, John Kerry, but it also includes the White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest. Now, Josh Earnest, uh, after Obama said that, you know, he uh, he declared chemical weapons possessed by the Syrian regime destroyed. Uh, by dedicated U.S. civilian military professionals, right, destroyed, because attacks continued after 2013 under his administration. But White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest uh, praised Russia for its role in destroying the chemical weapons stockpile of the Assad regime, and so you'll hear from him as well. He t- declared that the chemical weapons stockpile that Assad previously denied existed has now been acknowledged, rounded up, and removed from the country and destroyed precisely because of the work of this administration, the Obama administration. They got rid of everything. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, 100% gone. Really? Okay. 80 people dead last week. 80 people dead. And yeah, we got rid of it. We're so great. Pat ourselves on the back. Here's a compilation of some media reports and of the Obama administration pushing the lie that chemical weapons were gone.
0: Dozens of people reportedly killed, including at least 10 children, hundreds of others injured, and these numbers are very preliminary. What caused this? Right now, it's seen as a gas or chemical attack.
1: Do you think ultimately that President Obama is the big winner here? He is
0: a big, big winner, in my estimation. It turns out we're getting chemical weapons out of Syria, without having initiated a strike. So what else are you talking about? We've got we the, the chemical
3: weapons. Right. We've got the, we're getting the chemical weapons out of Syria.
0: Well, uh, Chris, all you have to do is look at the fact that today, the final 8% of chemical weapons uh, were taken out of Syria. We should commend the administration for the result that they got. The removal of chemical weapons. Out of Syria is a substantial accomplishment.
3: We certainly worked with them in Syria to, uh, to bring all the chemical weapons out of Syria.
0: We struck a deal where we got 100% of the chemical weapons out. 100% of the declared chemical weapons out of Syria. We kept chemical weapons, or got chemical weapons, out of the area. We got, as you know, last year, all the chemical weapons out of Syria. Uh, no small feat. Syria eliminating its chemical weapons and ultimately having been destroyed by the international community.
1: Syria would still have a declared chemical weapons stockpile. Right now they don't. Right now Bashar al-Assad does not have a declared chemical weapons stockpile. We removed that declared chemical weapons stockpile and we destroyed that declared chemical weapons stockpile, which means that Bashar al-Assad can't use those chemical weapons against his own people.
0: And the purpose of the strike? was to get the chemical weapons out of Syria. Weapons of mass destruction are taken out of the zone of conflict. And thank God we did that. We are making real progress in Iraq and Syria. And I mean real progress. If Russia can help us, and it is right now, Russia has helped bring about the Iran nuclear agreement. Russia helped get the chemical weapons out of Syria. The destruction of the Syrian chemical weapons stockpile. I would have, I think, made a bigger mistake If I had said, yeah, chemical weapons, uh, that doesn't really change my calculus.
2: And guess what? That's pretty much what Obama did, the red line that didn't exist. We credit the Washington Free Beacon for that video and the somber music underneath. All of the lies that were pushed for eight years, well, since 2013, about The Syrian regime and their use of chemical weapons and the fact that they brokered a deal. They brokered a deal with Russia to get rid of them. Well, where's Obama now? Where's his statement now? He loves to issue statements when he doesn't agree with Trump. So where's his statement now saying we were wrong, Trump is right? I guess I'll be lying awake all night trying to—oh, waiting for Obama's response on that. Um, Now, just to go over the foreign policy challenges, in addition to Syria— And the White House said today, during the press briefing, Sean Spicer said that um, they are leaving the door open for future uh, airstrikes on Syria if this continues. But here's the deal. So I talked about, at the very beginning, what did I say? We don't have to be the world's policeman, and the fact that America does come first, we cannot get involved in every nation's affairs, and we cannot, um, uh, you know, get uh, involved in every conflict. But— When you have a gas attack that's reminiscent of the Holocaust, you have to do something. You cannot let that go on. Now, they do it again, you strike them again. And if that son of a bee, uh, that being Bashar al-Assad, does it a third time, then you go after him personally. Those are the steps. It is, you do it one more time, we strike you again, and you do it again, we'll go after you. Personally. And that's what they probably should do in North Korea, because you have this, um, you know, this nut in uh, Kim Jong Un, who says that he is ready for a war. After we put our navy in the North Korea peninsula, there they've been testing nuclear weapons, and even when they fail, what are they doing? They're learning what they did wrong. And if North Korea gets nuclear weapons that can reach the United States, we're—I mean—that is. That is um, destruction waiting to happen uh, when you're dealing with—I mean, you're worried about Trump. This nut, okay, in North Korea will set off on anything, okay? You make fun of his hair, he'll have you decapitated. So he says he's ready for war. I think it's ready to assassinate him. Uh, I've heard that being uh, being pushed by some people. Uh, some experts were saying, honestly, at this point, you take him out. Uh, And I think uh, South Korea would be very happy with that. So you got North Korea saying they're ready for war. You have Egypt had a terrorist attack on two churches yesterday. And that's what the breaking news yesterday morning was. And I had a lead with that live. Radical Islamic terror on churches now. Uh, They're stepping up security in the United States, by the way. A heads up, uh, if you are Catholic or Christian, uh, with the Holy Week ahead. Uh, they are stepping up security efforts at churches uh, to make sure that um, uh, that there are no uh, attacks on Christians here in the U.S., in Egypt, and elsewhere in the Middle East. Christians are the minority, and they are being persecuted. Now, let me ask you, what was the deal with refugees again when oh, uh, Trump put out this travel suspension? Oh, right, Christians would get priority because they're being persecuted, and they're being— you know, terrorized and killed for being Christian and they would be first priority. Oh, but that was wrong because that named a religion. Right. But Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas there, wants to let everybody into her country from Syria because, well, it's the right thing to do. But yeah, but at the same time, Syrian refugees, they want to go back to their home country. This Elizabeth Warren, I call her Goofy. Yeah, she is goofy. The Syrian refugee was all over uh, CNN and Fox News was trying to get the Syrian refugee to blame Trump. And he goes, no, we love that Trump is striking Syria. We need him to continue doing it. Bashar al-Assad's a nut, and we want to go home. We want to go back to our home country. Um, Meanwhile, Stockholm, you had that truck attack, radical Islamic terror Friday night. Um, Iran, which we've sent billions of dollars to, is condemning the U.S. attack on Syria, the airstrike. They're not condemning the use of gases on people and the human rights violations and children, babies dying, but they're condemning us for striking them to send a message to the world. Right, because that makes sense. Russia, same thing. It was an act of aggression by President Trump, and we're not going to work with him anymore. Huh. Great. Because we needed to work with the Kremlin. They don't want to work with us, clearly, okay? And that's on national security and foreign policy. Now, China poses a national security threat. They also pose a trade threat. He was with um, President Trump, that is, was with uh, Jinping's, uh, Xi Jinping uh, on over the weekend at Mar-a-Lago when this whole thing with Syria happened. He was with him, and apparently he informed him personally that he was doing that, and China... Poses a national security threat and a trade threat. The national security threat is the fact that they can keep North Korea in check. They choose not to. A billion and a half people there in that country poses a climate change threat, if you want to talk about that. And in terms of national security, foreign policy, our safety and security, China can tell North Korea, cut it out. They won't do it. Um, and we have a $337 billion trade deficit with China with our goods not being sold in China, but all Chinese goods being sold in the U.S., because that somehow makes sense. So listen, the fact is, we have all these foreign policy challenges that I needed to go over here. All these foreign policy challenges for President Trump to deal with, and he's been left in utter disgrace by the Obama administration. They say the chemical weapons are gone. They also admit that they gave billions of dollars to fund terrorism in Iran unbelievable seriously i can't believe it so when we come back we have a new supreme court justice that being neil gorsuch we'll talk about that a little bit plus uh trump he's always right his political opponent and hillary clinton is still blaming others and well all these snowflakes trigger warnings all that nonsense you know schools that are saying well you know, if you feel triggered, come see us. <laughs> we'll be back on the Neil a. Crusoe Show podcast on this Monday.
1: Making the connection and making the difference.
2: I appreciate you
1: It helps a lot of people. Not only myself. Neil a. Crusoe is on the air to serve you, the American people. Log on to neilacaruso.com so you never miss your real, real deal, deal news. And subscribe to the Crusoe Show Podcast on iTunes. New connects the dots and cuts the red tape so you stay one step ahead of everyone else. The Neal Show Podcast. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me.
0: So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, B's just letting you know you did good.
1: Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now.
0: There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com.
1: Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your State Forester. Indoor baseball, anyone? <laughs> Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at stoptechstoprex.org Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. never stop working for you the american people
0: a star is born
1: neil caruso has inside scoop and common sense analysis on today's breaking news on the neil caruso show podcast
2: all right we are back and we continue to roll along on this april 10th so a big win today for donald trump and that being judge it's now Justice Neil Gorsuch. The Supreme Court is filled. The vacancy left by Antonin Scalia when he passed away uh, last February. And Gorsuch is the youngest uh, Supreme Court Justice since Clarence Thomas was uh, sworn in in 1991. He was 43, I believe. Uh, Gorsuch is 49. Um, we analyzed this on the Neil A. Kurzel show yesterday. By the way, if you go on to neilacurtzow.com, we have all the segments up. Uh, our analysis of Syria, as well as obviously we did it on the podcast today, but all of that is up there, including a little story about uh, Gorsuch. Um, now, Neil Gorsuch—it was funny because I was actually uh, interviewed today and in, about this, and um, one question because I answered it so comprehensively that they didn't need anything else. I know they're only going to use 12 seconds of it, um, but the—you know—you you look at his record, and we talked about this yesterday with uh, my friend uh, Chris Fazio. And uh, Chris and I talked about Neil Gorsuch's stellar record, you know, uh, religious liberty cases that he uh, voted in favor of. Um, He is a originalist constitutionalist, someone who believes in law and order, which is so important. I mean, it is, you know, in our day and age, and this is what I say, it's not a conservative justice versus a um, a liberal justice. Justice. It is more about um, the originalist constitutionalist justice and the activist justice who creates laws and thinks that he or she is a legislator. When in fact, justices are supposed to look at the Constitution and make judgments based on. The law as written and by precedent. That's what judges do. They look at the law. They look at pre- uh, they look at precedent. Excuse me. So um, Justice uh, Gorsuch now is sitting on the Supreme Court. Seems like such a nice man. If you watched the ceremony today, uh, I watched it later, uh, but it, uh, I'm sure people saw it. It was on every network live, and uh, he seems like a really humble man. President Trump was happy uh, to introduce him. He said it was uh, you know it, that he will uphold. The law, um, and that it is his job to be unfair, uh, to be fair, excuse me, uh, it is his job to um, to uphold the law and uh, and show fairness was uh, was a big point that uh, the president made. Um, and just Kennedy swore him in. That was in the big ceremony. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, swore him in in the official, you know, private ceremony, but in the public one. Uh, At the Rose Garden today, uh, President Trump, you had Neil Gorsuch, his wife, and you had uh, Kennedy, and um, Justice Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, who is the swing um, vote, you know, we could predict where they're going, Um, you know, well, except with Obamacare, because Chief Justice John Roberts actually voted in favor of Obamacare, which is a huge shocker, Um, and Anthony Kennedy voted with the more conservatives, Anson Scalia, and... um, Uh, and Alito, but, you know, when you look at the court the way it is, you have the four liberals, and now you have five conservatives, um, or as I would say, originalist constitutionalists versus activists, Uh, but you know where they're voting. Now, Gorsuch, we don't know yet. We don't know what kind of justice he will turn into. President Trump says he will turn out to be a great one, and uh, Gorsuch humbly thanked the president for his confidence in him during this entire grueling process where Senator Schumer had it out for him. Uh, saying we're going to filibuster, they changed the rules, and guess what? Now you have a more conservative justice when Ginsburg or or uh, or another uh, justice you know passes away or uh, retires. And uh, Anthony Kennedy was a mentor to um, to uh, Gorsuch, so I think it was a it was a great pick. Uh, that analysis on thelakers.com, but uh, it was a good pick. It was a good day for Neil Gorsuch and uh, the Supreme Court, which is so crucial. The uh, judicial branch uh, is filled. Uh, Lower court judges—I actually have to look that up because I'm um, uh, worried about the lower courts as well being the filibusters. But, hey, now you can have uh, the nuclear option. You just—you say, you know what? Democrats aren't going to work with us. Screw you. We'll get it done. It's sad that I had to come to that, but there's just total obstruction. And, you know, in 81 days, President Trump has accomplished more than anyone else has in 81 days. I mean— Getting rid of unnecessary regulations, uh, easing the regulations in Obamacare, moving towards energy independence, securing the nation, starting the wall, um, uh, increasing border patrol agents, cutting out sanctuary cities that harbor criminal legal aliens, and getting them the hell out of our country, and the list goes on. And you know when we get to the hundredth day, which happens to be on a Saturday, that next day, the Sunday, will be a Recap the Trump agenda, first 100 days. Now, here's the deal, though. With all the obstruction, and Trump accomplished so much, if only he was able to get, and this is not on him, this is on Congress, this is on Paul Ryan, who never consulted the rest of his party, and the Freedom Caucus, and they never had a consensus plan, even though seven and a half years they promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, if they had the health care bill in there and he was well on his way to tax reform, boy, would we be so... So ahead of schedule. Now, we already are. Less than 100 days, you already have a Supreme Court justice on the court, as he promised, which was a top voting item, as you saw in the exit polls. 81 days, a lot of progress, a lot of success already, and we are well on our way, but the obstruction is uh, its hurting the, the nation for sure. Now, I mentioned Sanctuary City. Trump always comes out right. An example. Remember when Trump ran for president, when he announced it, uh, middle of June in 2015? I remember where I was. He said that they're coming from Mexico, not all of them. Some of them are good people, but some are murderers, rapists, drug dealers. And then he goes, and some are good people, which always gets forgotten about. Well, what do we learn from the Sanctuary City weekly reports that have been coming out? MS-13 gang members from El Salvador coming into Mexico. Uh, we have... Gang, uh, those gang members, drug dealers that are selling cocaine and heroin to our kids, uh, opioids in, in a massive uh, opioid uh, em- epidemic. Um, you have uh, rapists that are being uh, arrested and sent out. Um, they were all being harbored by sanctuary city policy. And now they're finally being locked up and sent out. And so Trump always turned out to be right. He was right on day one. And he's been right all along. So to call him a liar, well, you could look at the other candidate, that being Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is now, she spoke at some gala, some fancy elites, okay? Because she always gets herself into trouble when she is with these elitists and some fancy schmancy thing that regular people aren't invited to. But she's going to hold your hands. But she doesn't show up because she's probably punching a wall when she lost on election night. <laughs> And Hillary Clinton now, you know what she's blaming? Well, she was blaming WikiLeaks the other day and saying that WikiLeaks who published emails that she put on a private email server that was illegally used, and she sent 100 and 110 classified emails she sent or received. Well, now she's got a new one. She's blaming misogyny for her loss in a direct shot at our commander-in-chief. Oh, really? It's misogyny? Huh. Never heard that before, because all Republicans are misogynists and racist and sexist and homophobic. I forget all the the things I'm supposed to be, all the isms. And Hillary Clinton doesn't have to look far from the fact that she not only illegally used a private email server, she run a corrupt foundation, which her daughter is running now. And if you want to talk about misogyny? Look no further than the husband that you married, that you stayed with, that she did on you multiple times, that she did with, uh, with an intern in the White House, okay? That disgraced the office of the president, disgraced the Oval Office, pretty literally. And uh, and you stayed with him. You chose to stay with him, didn't you? That really sends a great message to women who are being abused, doesn't it? You know, and then you take money from Saudi Arabia and all these nations who persecute Christians and Jews. They thrive under radical Islamic terror and the Moroccan king, and they, and they don't let women drive, and they don't let women uh, go anywhere without a male supervision. Marital rape is permitted, um, and if you cheat on your husband, you're stoned to death, Um. Uh, that's a great message. That is just fantastic, Hillary. But, you know, misogyny is to blame for your loss. Just go in a hole. You should really just be like a groundhog and go away. Um, there, It's so unbelievable that she keeps talking. And then you have all these snowflakes. Now, I played this clip on the show yesterday. And when I define by a snowflake, by the way, it's not everybody. I usually refer to celebrities as this. Um, I will refer to people as being snowflakes. It's a mentality. You know, it's the poor me, the everybody's to blame but myself, like Hillary Clinton blaming misogyny, okay, for her loss. That's a snowflake mentality, not taking responsibility, not being man enough to just say, you know what? I was a terrible candidate, and people didn't like me. That's what the American people ultimately wanted, even though I was given questions to debates, and the media, you know, was uh, in the tank for me. Even so... The people came through and voted for Trump, but she has a snowflake mentality, you see? And Harvard University students, Ivy League school, you know, they're supposed to be the brightest minds in the country. Well, campus reform, and I played this on the show, said so I'm going to play the clip again here. Harvard students were interviewed by uh, campus reform, and they published this report that they believe that Trump is worse than ISIS. I honestly cannot believe my ears. Take a listen to all of these Snowflakes, from Harvard.
1: In your opinion, would you say that Donald Trump's rhetoric or ISIS is a bigger threat to more Americans? Um, I think uh, probably Donald Trump's rhetoric. Would you believe that more Americans are at risk because of President Trump's rhetoric and policies than because of ISIS? Um, I think probably more of the policies, mainly because I think terrorism is really not that big of a deal. I guess I have to see how this plays out, but I think we're more at risk because of like his presidency. Do I think ISIS is going to cause a threat to me living my everyday life? Not really. Do I think that the rhetoric that uh, Donald Trump is using, and you know, kind of empowering these folks who have been hitting in the corner for a long time with hateful views, do I think that that's more of a threat than ISIS? Yes, for sure.
0: That's a tough question, um, especially because a lot of his policies are still in the works.
1: I think. The U.S. has military prowess that renders ISIS to not be as big of a threat. Terrorism's not a big deal. You know, there's people getting killed, um, you know, on the streets every day. I'd say it's something here. We're lucky. Like We're far away from ISIS. I think he's a <laughs> in chief, you know. I don't think, uh, I'm not sure that he's his best interest for the, I don't think he really cares that much about the American people.
2: Oh, he doesn't care about the American people, and terrorism is not a big threat. Okay, tell that to the people in Egypt, okay, Christians, innocent Christians who are praying ahead of Holy Week, and on Palm Sunday, they are murdered by radical Islam, and terrorism in this country, you know, San Bernardino, the Boston bombing, 9-11, shall I go on, okay? They're here, and they want to destroy America. That's a very clear thing to understand. These are supposed to be the brightest minds in our country. They're a bunch of young idiots, okay, who have no outlook on life, who literally sit in their own bubble and have no clue about the world around them, okay? And they listen to liberal professors who indoctrinate them, and they have no sense of the world outside of them. They show utter disdain for them like their candidate Hillary Clinton did. Now, this is my message to all of the ...snowflakes out there that cannot support our president when we are in war, we are under siege, okay, by radical Islamists, whether you believe that your bubble is not going to be infiltrated or not, okay, it is a real problem. But, you know, they have trigger warnings at schools. I saw a sign today, and I'm going to read it because it's so outrageous, okay, and I just, this is my duty that I have to do. There were signs all over a campus in New York today that read, trigger warning. I'm reading, I'm quoting this poster that I took a picture of today. The event conducted just beyond this sign may contain triggering and or sensitive material. Sexual violence, sexual assault and abuse or some topics mentioned within this event. If you feel triggered, please know there are resources to support you. And there are phone numbers for the people to contact. I mean, seriously, okay, that... uh. That this, because we're gonna be talking about sexual violence, which l- l- let me guess, okay? They're gonna bring up that Access Hollywood tape from 2005 that was leaked purposely right to ruin Trump's campaign. They're gonna bring that up as an example of sexual assaults. So, oh my God. Mock room talk, okay? As if I haven't heard words from females, okay? And I'm not condoning it, I'm just saying, okay? And then trigger warnings. And if you feel triggered, I mean, grow up, okay? It's time for people, especially young people, because they just—they live in their own bubble. Time to toughen up. Time to—you know, if you're going to survive in life, you need to get the hell out of your bubble. You need to grow up and stop being a baby. Stop being so sensitive, okay? And then I—so I posted this on uh, one of my social media accounts. And I got a response, you know, uh, why aren't you calling them? Because said snowflakes and uh, what what was my post? Something about snowflakes. Uh, Barrage of snowflakes or something. I said, and I got a comment, uh, what do you mean by snowflakes? And I said, well, people are too overly sensitive about everything. And that was my response. Very simple. And then I get this long response, trigger warnings are important because, you know, we need to, people who are, they're going to kill themselves. (laughs) They're going to kill themselves if they hear about sexual violence. I mean, seriously, give me a break, okay? If you're going to have a conference, then have a conference. First of all, all these conferences are freaking nuts anyway because they don't have two sides of a story. The universities are supposed to have debate and supposed to have conversation and they're supposed to have all sides and different views. They don't do that. Okay? And apparently these trigger warning signs were up during the debate. Okay? During the debate season. It's so that basically because, you know, I guess my entire podcast is a trigger warning, so I'm sorry, snowflakes. You're going to have to deal with it. Okay? Toughen up because you're not going to survive in life. But it's just, it is unbelievable, though, the things that you see, especially in the college campus. And these people, they, they just don't get it. They don't get it. Okay? They don't get life. And... Frankly, they'll never get life until they start making money, and they have to support a family, and they have to grow up and get out of their safe space and get to work. And if I'm triggering you too bad, you could call it Ghostbusters. Unbelievable. I say unbelievable a lot because there are a lot of things that, frankly, you just cannot fathom that exist. I mean, tell that to the person who started in World War II part of the greatest generation that ever lived, tell that to someone who served our country and fought for our freedom and has PTSD, that you feel triggered because we're talking about sensitive things. Stop being so sensitive. Man up. All right. Well, that wraps up the first podcast of the week this week. By the way, uh, good Friday and Friday. And unless there's major breaking news out of respect, uh, we will not have a podcast on Friday. But other than that, Monday through Thursday, we'll be here with you. And we'll see you on the podcast tomorrow. God bless you, and God bless America.
1: The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to nealacaruso.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.